Welcome to the next episode in our series of Beyond Brexit podcasts. Today, we're discussing the EU27 view of Brexit. I'm Gaynor Bagley, PwC's Head of Corporate Purpose. On all the previous episodes of these podcasts, we have talked about the impact on UK business of various Brexit scenarios, but of course the outcome of any negotiation would depend on the views of both sides. Today I'm joined by Ray Taylor of our Corporate Affairs team. Ray is based in Brussels and his job is to keep us all appraised of EU developments on Brexit and regulatory issues. Brian Polk, who's a director in our European Financial Service and Regulation team. And Michael Moore, a former politician who's one of PwC's strategic advisors on Brexit. Welcome, gentlemen. Ray, I'm going to start with you. Uh, can you just give us a bit of a flavour about what is the mood in Brussels as we build up to the Leaders' Summit? Um, I mean, obviously, we're heading to um, the summit in the middle of December. And uh, as people will have seen from uh, the press and press reporting, um, this is viewed as being a, a very critical time, both for the EU27 and also for the UK, in that obviously the UK is desperate to get to uh, a decision by the 27 on future progress. Um, I think it would be fair to say that there are still a number of stumbling blocks that still need to be resolved between the UK and the 27. Uh, one of those is obviously money. Um, the other citizens' rights, uh, this, we seem to be moving a lot closer to agreement on that, which doesn't mean that we should have um, uh, false confidence that that's going to be found. But most probably of all the three areas, it's the one that we're most probably slightly closer to agreement on. From an EU27 side, um, certainly from the over the decade that I've been dealing with uh, Brussels and with Europe, and also in, in my sort of uh, conversations with other sort of EU watchers in Brussels, I think the thing that we find very surprising is how closely aligned all the 27 member states are, how closely aligned the European Parliament is and how closely the EU Commission is around this singular focus of these three exit uh, requirements from the UK. It's unprecedented, it's unheard of. And I think if I was the UK at the moment, I think this harmony that there is between those three organisations would actually cause me a lot of concern, particularly in accepting that this is a negotiation. Um, one could argue that the only institutions that has actually bent so far in the negotiation is the UK, either by finding more money, either by compromising on citizens' rights, and conceivably also compromising on the Irish issue. And actually the EU has done very little compromising so far. Um, so you know, I, I think from the UK, you know, the UK may, to give it, may need to give it a little bit more if it wants to get to a decision in December. I, I think it would be safe to say that if there wasn't a decision in December, that in itself is not fatal. There is another summit in February. But of course, the longer this goes on, it compresses the period of time you have to discuss future arrangements. So, so you know, I, I think, you know, I, I think for a whole range of reasons, I think the UK is obviously desperate for decision in in December, and at some level, I think a lot of the EU twenty seven also are accepting that they wouldn't actually just give things away for that to happen. I was, on the one hand, interested that we've got kind of good alignment on the EU twenty seven around the kind of let's say the detailed exit points, but you were hinting that perhaps when we get to the next point, which is the future arrangements, we may not get alignment. 
Well, indeed, and and you know, as you know, I, I think it's obvious is that certain member states, their relationship they currently have with the UK economically is far greater than other member states. So it's the you know the the Netherlands, Belgian, German relationship is obviously more economically important for them than maybe the relationship that countries like Bulgaria, Bulgaria and Romania economically have with the UK. And for that reason, therefore, the quote decision, you know people have more skin in the game with regards to getting a good trade arrangement with, with the UK. I mean, I think the one thing we are starting to see, and it, was, it became very sort of visible uh, last week, um, is that um, you know, the EU27 and the Commission are starting to think about if we do get to a future arrangement discussion, what are the sort of areas that we would want to, to be raising? And I, I think it's becoming clear that um, uh, single market access is not going to happen as far as they are concerned. What they see is a trade agreement and something that closely mirrors what the EU currently has with Canada. So it's a slightly more extensive trade agreement than a lot of the others that they've agreed with other countries around the world, but it goes nowhere near as far as the UK would want it to go. But that is because um, and it's a phrase that has been used a lot, is you know, the EU views the UK as becoming a third country uh, after March 2019. And as soon as you become a third country, that imposes a number of requirements with respect to customs controls, you know, the, the control of people going across borders, uh, with regards to tariffs, with regards to all those sort of economic uh, issues. And um, the famous passporting for financial services companies as well, you know, becomes part of that. If you're a third country, by definition, you don't have passporting rights yeah. into the European Union. And so that's re it's really important to get the business view on that. So that's, the, you know, Ray's given us the political view. What's businesses' view? You know, when they look at their crystal ball, yeah, what's think, their mood? I think businesses are looking at, at the politics right now that Ray's kind of quite helpfully summarized and saying, well, um, you know, we're hearing actually quite different messages from, so the UK is out in the market, if you will, of the market of ideas, giving assurances that, you know, that this is where we're aiming in terms of a future relationship. So David Davis spoke on the 14th of November at, at UBS and he talked about um, how London has always been an important financial center in Europe, that um, there were big risks to, to fragmentation. Um, if you know, if we don't get this right going forwards, fragmentation of the global industry, um, costs, um, and it, you know, and alluded to the importance of a transitional arrangement as well. So, you know, people in the city kind of you know would listen to that and say, well, you know, it feels like kind of the UK is going in the right direction. Perhaps, you know, we don't, you know, the contingency plans to move to move many things to the EU. Perhaps we should wait. Perhaps we should should think again on this. But the very next day, you know, the European Central Bank, the, you know, the head of supervision, the European Central Bank was out saying, um, you know, very important that we don't just have kind of brass plated um, financial services institutions in Europe. We want to see moves in substance. We want to see, you know, the ability of management in, in the EU, what will be the EU 27 to take, to manage risks within their businesses and not from sort of a London headquarters. Um, and to back that up again, you know, Michel Barnier was was in the market for ideas again three days after that to say um, that that um, UK-based businesses really needed to scale down their expectations of 
of potential access to to the EU as a third country. So we're seeing, you know, it's a time of sort of quite big divergences between what the UK is asking for and um, you know, and what it appears the e, the EU twenty seven is going to offer, and therefore there's, you know, there there's this there's a big amount of uncertainty there to manage on the behalf of yeah. businesses. Yeah, and interestingly, when, you know, when I talk to you and others who advise financial services a lot, I'm wondering was was either of those statements actually a surprise to them? It almost seems to me that they 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 know what they're doing. They're running a business. They're just getting on with it. Would that be a fair assessment? I think people understand roughly that that's where the you know where the positions are. I think that what businesses have been looking for is is there any coming together of these two these two quite different points of view? Um, you know where have they moved over time? There have been some subtle shifts actually in the way that the European Central Bank has talked about kind of managing risks on the on the continent going forwards and a, and a sort of a grudging acceptance that some you know, some acceptance of the model approvals that have been done in London could, in, you know, could be grandfathered for a period of time in, into Europe. So we're seeing some sort of small moves by officials on the ground. And I think, you know, I have no doubt that there are kind of senior officials in both the European Commission and in the UK Treasury who could sit down and design a deal for financial services that would preserve financial stability. But it needs to be done within the context of an overall political negotiation and what we're seeing at the political level still is quite big divergences and we're not yet at the point where either side would be willing to pass the you know the detail of finalizing a deal onto the onto sort of the officials who really know the industry well okay so that's really evidencing the the point that the, the sooner we can get on to talking about future arrangements the better for financial services, but in fact all industries that want to kind of work out a pragmatic deal going forward. Well, I mean, the one of the fundamental problems at the moment is that the UK government doesn't seem to have a specific clear vision of what that future agreement actually is. And there may be a number of internal political reasons for that, but until the UK can alight on what it wants that future agreement to be, it's very difficult to negotiate that. And I understand the reasons why the UK doesn't want to publicise that at the moment, in part because it sort of they view would it would weaken their negotiating position. But I think it does also demonstrate, and we have seen this with the withdrawal, is the U twenty seven is already is already ahead of us to a degree. They're already starting to think about what they see the future uh, like. So it strengthens their hand in a future arrangement. So you know, I would say the first challenge for the UK is actually working out what we want but also something that is realistic because I think it's very clear that, you know, you know as soon as the, the UK indicated that it was going to be leaving the single market and the customs union, we gave up an awful lot of the trade benefits that we got from those two, those two mechanisms. And frankly, anything that you get in, 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 uh, as a, an alternate to that is going to impose a, 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 an element of friction and is going to impose an element of cost, mm -hmm. uh, and, and 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 so so you know those are the things that you know business is going to have to sort of get its head around, um, and is and is starting to in certain sectors. Okay. I think what Ray said to me that's really important is is not just that you know the UK needs you know to develop its position, but you know in your first discussion you talked about the differences of view within the EU twenty seven as well, and so so there's really kind of you know, you know, bo both sides, if you will, to these negotiations are not yet clear in terms of what they want from 
yeah. from this negotiation. So I'm going to bring Michael in now. I mean, so Michael, as you, look, I'm asking you to look into your crystal ball and kind of what do you see the kind of key milestones? Because there are quite a few elections and other electoral uncertainties in the picture um, amongst various EU states. So what can you see as the key milestones that business needs to look out for going forward? I think what our discussion so far has highlighted is how much the continental politics uh, or non-UK politics plays a role in all of this and why businesses really need to be following a whole series of developments, uh, not just what's happening here at home. But the difficulties uh, in Germany uh, as a result of the recent elections, which have not produced the government as people had expected it. And perhaps also the, the, more rec uh, the last few days we've seen it in Ireland too. These throw up some big challenges to the whole process. My reading of the German situation at the moment is that they are going to extraordinary lengths to avoid another election or to ensure that there is some kind of stability. And I don't think anybody's questioning their ability to contribute to the Brexit negotiations on the basis that they need. What has been striking, however, is how the Irish issue has r rocketed up the uh, process in the last uh, couple of weeks. Now, we're all very acutely aware of the historical sensitivities and challenges to the relationship, but that's also the reality that our economic relationship with Ireland is amongst the most integrated in the whole of the EU, and therefore to take it apart it has to be done very carefully and so you see the debates uh, within the island of Ireland, north and south, over what an acceptable outcome might look like and you see again uh, in the UK some red lines being drawn, the Ulster Unionists and others saying no there's various uh, things that we will not tolerate. Partly this goes to Ray's earlier point that until the UK has decided what its future trade relationship is that it wants and asks for it, people cannot then work out relative to that how Ireland will work. But into that political sensitivity, that economic uh, you know, complexity that we have, you run now some domestic politics in the south of Ireland. You have a new Prime Minister, the Taoiseach, who probably at some point will want his own mandate. There are problems that he runs a minority government where his major opposition party supports him and there are some issues about whether that how long that support will last. So Ireland uh, has some challenges of its own, doesn't every country, uh, but has been worried that its own issues, the degree of integration on the island has not yet been given enough seriousness. I think in the end what the, where this ends is that the UK and others will have to demonstrate a stronger commitment to finding the solution, but I doubt they're going to make major breakthroughs at this summit uh, while the overall trading relationship with the UK post-Brexit remains so unclear. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, I think what I'm hearing from all three of you so far is complexity. <laughs> um, I, I, there are a few lines in the sand that, that actually give me grounds of optimism. I think there will be some pragmatic negotiation going on once we can get over some of the hurdles that are in place right now. Um, so I'm going to ask all of you, just, just as I, my, the last question, to just if you had one message for business, um, what would that be? Um, well, I, I think, you know, the thing's becoming very clear is that, and this is true, I think, for both the UK uh, government, but also for EU27 governments and certainly the EU Commission, is they are not interested in hearing from business an argument that is just, you know, please make, you know, 
please don't do anything to hurt us, please help. These sort of very no sort of change, please, no yeah. change, please arguments. Um, yeah, as I say, I, I think this is a, a, about uh, expectation management. Uh, I think this is also about assisting governments to reach the right decision. And the way the business, I think, can do that is by making well-reasoned arguments supported by evidence. Um, and then be prepared to keep on laboring those points. Don't just work on a basis that once you've said it once, it's, it's listened to and understood, that you need to keep on engaging and keep on making those points. If I can chip in an experience from politics, it's only when a politician gets bored hearing themselves speak of a particular message that there's any danger the message has got across. So uh, keep repeating is critical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but also, and, and, and sort of for, for sort of our clients' perspective for business, is if you have got multi-site European operations to think about using those messages in all those places rather than just in one or two because at the end of the day any decision that's taken on future arrangements will be a decision of 27 countries and whether whether it's an economically important country from, an, from, a, from a UK side like the ones we've already mentioned or maybe an EU 27 member state that slightly has does less uh, 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 with regards to the UK they all have the same vote and and you know I would you know I would look at this in a way which is you know be you know if it's important to you you know economically important to you put the investment in now so that you at some point you you will hope to get the return back yes yeah. so engage and, and the governments will listen, yeah. perhaps yeah. eventually, but they will listen. Is and engage on both sides yeah. of the yeah. channel. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, within financial services, we've seen a lot, of, a lot of businesses in the UK have contributed to something called the International Regulatory Steering Group. It's a, you know, an, a, a, a body that's, that, that's part of the, the city, um, city of London Corporation. Um, but, the, um, uh, but this is a time of maximum impact as the as the EU 27 are trying to develop their negotiating framework for Brexit for the future trading arrangements this is sort of an unprecedented time for businesses to be working sort of the permanent you know permanent representatives in Brussels um, and the governments in other in other territories where there's an interest you know where they have a have an economic interest making the arguments as Ray says don't assume you've been heard the first time you make these arguments. That's very good. Now is the time I heard there. There's a really important role for advocacy, but there's also a really important role just for generally engaging on the topic and understanding what's going on and moving from the engaging bit to the planning yeah. piece. I think it's becoming increasingly obvious that with fewer than 500 days to go until the UK formally leaves the European Union, there's not a lot of time left. and not all the uncertainty is going to be removed and in some areas it's beginning to look like the divergence between the political timeline where critical decisions are being taken and a business timeline where critical mitigating decisions could be taken, alternative strategies adopted. That divergence means that the thinking and the planning has got to be done so that when the moment comes to implement, businesses are not being caught out. It may mean as they weigh up their options against no deal or a full deal, they'll have very different outcomes. But it's good to be in the position where you know what it is you want to do, depending on those outcomes. Absolutely, absolutely. Right, I think we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much to all three of you for a very interesting discussion. And thank you to all of you for listening. You can find all our Brexit-related content, including other episodes of the podcast, on www.pwc.co.uk forward slash 
Brexit. Thank you.